As you start to reach more people, things start to feel more complex. There's more to do and more to keep track of, and it starts to actually take time away from creating content. I felt this struggle personally. The more creator science grew, the more it felt like I was dropping the ball. So I did something about it. I built a set of rock solid systems, all in Notion to support the business as we grew. And it worked like a charm. I've now taken my personal Notion setup and productized it. It's called Creator HQ, and it's the complete operating system that you need for your creator business. I built Creator HQ to be an all-in-one workspace designed to save you more time, create more content, and drive more revenue. By leveraging Creator HQ, we are publishing more than we ever have, and we're nearing $1 million in annual revenue because of it. It brings all of your data and processes into one place with custom-built dashboards to reduce friction in managing tasks, creating content, and collaborating with your team. I've seriously spent more than three years building this, and now you can have the same systems that I use right out of the box. In the lab, one of our members just posted, I have spent the last few weeks diving into Creator HQ, learning how it works, and making it my own. This is the first time in a while that I felt this organized and filled with hope that I can find a workflow that will work for me with my whole business. This is gold. I will definitely be giving a testimonial for this badass product. If you're new to Notion, don't worry. I've included a ton of specific tutorials to help you learn how to use Notion generally and Creator HQ specifically. I've never seen another Notion product integrate tutorials like we have here. More than 300 other creators are already using Creator HQ, and I am not exaggerating when I say I would be lost without this system. Creator HQ is what keeps the trains running over here. As a podcast listener, I'm giving you my best price. You can get 10% off using the promo code podcast at checkout. Just head to creatorhq.co to watch the video and learn more. That's creatorhq.co and use promo code podcast to save 10%. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of Creator Science. I am thrilled to share with you today's conversation with the wonderful, one-of-a-kind Tina Roth Eisenberg. Tina, also known as Swiss Miss, started Creative Mornings in September of 2008 in New York City. She wanted to create an accessible, inspiring morning event for creative people to meet. Some have called it TED for the rest of us. Here's how Tina would describe Creative Mornings. Imagine a breakfast one Friday morning a month for free for the creative community uh, with a 20 minute talk, like super quick, 8.30 till 10. And just a really warm, heart-centered community that gets together in in a radically generous way. Today, there are creative mornings in more than 200 cities, about 70 countries across the globe, and it reaches 25,000 people per month. And I can tell you, I've attended many Creative Mornings events here in Columbus, Ohio, and I've even spoken at these events before. These meetups are unlike any other meetup I've ever been to. And it isn't the format, it's the people. The people you meet at a Creative Mornings event are some of the most kind, warm, and generous creative people you will ever meet. I'll let Tina describe them too. 2014, we for the first time ever gathered our volunteers. We only saw these avatars on Basecamp talking to each other, and then we invited them for a two-day conference in New York City. And I will never forget, at the time, my COO, my first hire, Kevin, who helped me scale Creative Mornings from four to 111 chapters, he and I were standing in the room in Brooklyn with the 175 people that flew in from 45 countries. And I remember looking at Kevin, and I remember breaking down, crying. There was a love palpable in that room of unmatched proportions. In addition to Creative Mornings, Tina is the founder of the designer temporary tattoo brand, Tatly, and the co-working community Friends Work Here. In this episode, we talk about the beginnings of Creative Mornings, how Tina has scaled it into the global brand that it is today, why we need to get back to making things just for fun, and why you may want to consider financially supporting the organizations you love. I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. As you listen, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus, tag me, say hello. And now let's talk with Tina. In 2008, it's been nine years that I chose New York City as my my home. I grew up in the Swiss Alps. I'm a born and trained Swiss graphic designer. And in 99, I came to New York for what was supposed to be a three month stint 
I graduated graphic design and I had this dream of living in New York for three months. And I came and within 16 hours found an internship. It was a it's pretty epic. And so, and that resulted within a few weeks in, in, in a full-time job offer and a visa. So it was just sort of destined that I was staying in New York City. And then, so when I uh, worked in New York as a designer, I was like, where are my people? You know, I'm a super outgoing person, super social, and, you know, I, I didn't know a soul. And so in 2008, a few years later, I basically created the organization that I wish existed when I first moved here to find my people. Because what I noticed when I moved here in 1999, and I made a horrible salary, so I just literally could not afford buying tickets to industry events and conferences was completely out of question. And I just noticed um, that we were all meeting in silos, the graphic designers in that corner, and then the art directors and the photographers and the information architects. And I just didn't understand. I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, in the end of the day, we're all, we're all believing, believing in living a creative life. We're all sort of, you know, creativity is the overarching umbrella. So in 2008, I started actually a co-working space when I started my own company mm. and I started a co-working space and the, the hook to get in was that you had to be in a creative field and you had to be a really kind heart center person to be to qualify to be part of that co-working space. And what I basically noticed is like the magic that unfolded when you're sitting in a space every day with really kind, creative people, you know, and we're talking, there's a developer over there and a designer over here and an illustrator back there. And like, and you know, you can just turn around and say like, hey, can you help me with this? And it was really magical, which then made me realize there's so many more of us in New York City. And, you know, as a trained designer, I love nothing more than prototyping an idea. I scrappily prototyped it. I was like, I just want to invite people in. And I invited people in for coffee and bagels and and a talk. I'm a 20-minute talk. I mean, it was so simple. It was so scrappy. And it caught on. And people wanted to bring it into their cities. And now we're all over the world. I love to talk about the very beginnings of things because I think especially now with everything that we can see online, we often compare like our first version to somebody's 10th version. So it's really nice to drill into people's first versions a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you're saying this first event was in the co-working space that you had. Yep. And it probably, did it have a name at the time? Yeah, I called it Creative Mornings. Really? Right from the beginning. Yeah, which is actually amazing. And I have to thank my friend, Jennifer, who used to be part of my space. She was like, she was working on a proposal. She's an interior designer. And I was like, cause first I, I might, might have a pretty popular blog, which called Swiss Miss. And I was like, should I call it Swiss Miss Social? What should I call it? And she's like, what? And I was like, Jen, what do you think? And, and she was like kind of stressed out. And she's like, what is it about? I was like, well, we're meeting in the morning and it's for creatives. And she was like, creative mornings. And she continued <laughs> on her proposal and I was like, huh. It's actually good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sometimes the best idea is like you need you need that headspace where you can't even overthink it, where you're just like, this is what I'm hearing. This is what it is. Yeah, no, it was a great gift that she gave me. So good. So when you started that first event, did you anticipate it being an ongoing thing at all? No, I had no expectation whatsoever. I'm a big fan of just following my my hunches, my intuitions, the, sort of the wouldn't it be fun feeling. And it just had a, had a thing that that would be fun. And then, you know, 45, 50 people showed up. And funny, like funny enough is actually that I oftentimes don't mention this, but because it's kind of a detail, but it's not because the very first event did not have a talk. And my favorite thing is to, you know, you, 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 you put an event together and then you go, what worked, what didn't work, what, what was awkward. And to not having a talk, like I have no problem talking to people in a room, but there's just a lot of people who feel a little introverted and, and I was like, you know, this was this feels a little, felt a little networky. And the last thing I wanted to do was a networking event, even though in the end of the day, all I want is people to meet. So then I was like, how, how would it be less networky? And I was like, well, let's put a talk on top of it. So then the second one was actually hosted at, uh, at Huge, the agency, which at the time mm. was not huge, which is so funny. They were tiny at the so time. Funny. And we had 75 people show up. And, and I was like, wait, what? And then, you know, because because I was posting these events on my blog, which reached a pretty large audience, um, agencies started reaching out to me and said, hey, do you want to, you know, we would love to host you. And to the point where six months in, we were hosted at Google, where I was like, like, I have a real 
I think I have one superpower and that is noticing when something needs to be nurtured more. Like I just realized there is something here and I basically just pay, became the conduit for it. I was like, I'm not really sure where this is going, but I don't, I'm going to keep showing up. And I think I oftentimes um, thank sort of my Swiss upbringing for that just doggedness that just keeps showing up and just not giving up right away. I'm so grateful I did because now it's 14 years in and it's the thing I'm, the, I have, I've built a lot of cool things and I have two amazing kids, but I have to say the thing I'm most proud of and I think has the most impact in my life for other people is uh, Creative Mornings. So you did this in your co-working space and I believe I've heard you say before that in 2008, that might've been the first co-working space that was in Brooklyn. Yeah, the first creative co-working space. This was before we worked. None of that existed. And it's interesting. I started it out with, with six desks. And we were in this kind of crummy building in Dumbo, right on the water, overlooking, right on the East River, overlooking Manhattan. And thank God it was such a crummy building. I mean, just to give you an example, we had no heat. We had all these space heaters in the winter. It was brutal. But we were able to break down walls and expand the space. So we went from six to 65 in the course of five wow. years. Wow. And yeah. so in that season of life where you have this crummy building and you're in New York, expensive city, you're providing free breakfast to these people. Was that coming out of your pocket? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did that feel like a leap at the time? No, no, no. I mean, to me, I don't know. Not that I, you know, I was like swimming in money, but what was it? I mean, maybe cost me 200 bucks, but you know, that was so worth it seeing the community getting together. Like my currency is really like, I am the happiest when I can gather humans, when I see kind-hearted, creative, good people in a room and they light up and they meet each other and they have their friendships being made. That to me is my currency. So I never even thought about it. And, you know, interestingly enough, again, along the lines of, you know, what I call the universe was cheering me on. Four months into running this, I got an email from Ben Chestnut, the co-founder of MailChimp, who at the time, at the time, the company was 13 people. And it's like one of the funniest emails I've ever got. And he literally said in the email, my team would pee their pants if we were teaming up. And can I support you? And I remember sitting there going, I don't know. I, I literally just wrote back, do you want to pay for breakfast? <laughs> so then MailChimp started paying for breakfast four months in. And they, you know, they've been our patron for over 14 years. And without them, Creative Mornings wouldn't be like they literally are our patron. I mean, Ben Chestnut has been uh, has become a good friend and has just been such a supporter of he just really believes in the creative community meeting up and supporting the underdog. So huge Ben Chestnut, Google, you're mentioning names that have like a lot of recognition now. Mm -hmm. Of course, they were smaller at the time. When you were starting this, how would you, how strong would you say your personal network was? Well, I was really lucky because I ran, uh, which I still do my blog, Swissmas, which was so popular at the time. And because of the deck network that Jim Kudal started, made me a substantial amount of money that allowed me to actually go clientless. I had a design studio and then realized that the things that really, really lit me up and made me happy were the things that I did on the side. Creative mornings. And actually my studio mate, Cameron, always said to me, like, Tina, why are you doing client work? Why are you not doing your own thing? And so I must say, like, I, I attribute my successes and sort of the daring to take big, scary leaps to my, the community around me, my co-working space. Mm -hmm. And in the end of the day, creative mornings is basically just another circle, a larger circle of my co-working community. It's exactly the same thing, you know, like you, it's kind of self-selecting, you know, you have to get up early in the morning. You probably a kind person, otherwise you wouldn't vibrate with it or resonate with it. And you're probably a curiously creatively minded human. You just mentioned that because of this deck network, what, what is that? Oh, it was, um, Jim Kudal is the guy that started field, field notes. Uh, he's just a really remarkable human. He was, I remember seeing him speak at South by Southwest. I don't remember maybe 14 years ago, but it was one of those pivotal moments where oftentimes I get that now after I give a talk where people come up to me and they just like, you know, you could just see the light bulb went off and Jim was just like, 
super creative guy that he ran an agency and he just did really cool shit. Like he just had an idea and he went for it. And he created this DVD packaging system because they had, they made short movies. And then, so he created a, he created a product to make DVD uh, packaging really cool, but you can do it uh, yourself at home. So you can distribute your movies. And then he realized he wanted to advertise it to the creative community, but he was like, how do I reach them? Where do I go? And he was such a smart guy. And then he was just like handpicking the design blocks, the design centric mm. blocks of half his audience and started a, an RSS feed sort of network ad network. And at the time it was unreal that I was invited to be part of that. And he just did really well. And the larger your block, the more money you made. And it gave me the freedom to uh, go clientless, which was a game changer for me. After a quick break, Tina and I talk about the early days of the internet and what we seem to have lost today. So stick around and we'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash j. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash j and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash creator. And now back to my conversation with Tina Roth Eisenberg. I hear about this, this era of the internet. There's a word. I forget the language. I forget the word. But there's a word for the feeling of nostalgia for a time that you didn't experience. And when I hear stories like this, that's like what I feel. I feel like, ah, these are... These are my people and I so like wish that I had that experience because I'm sure it was like, I mean, we, we have a lot of this now, but it seems a lot more competitive and agendaed now. I don't think we have it now. I mean, I just, I just a few weeks ago, so, so Cameron Cozon, who I just mentioned, who always pushed me to go clientless and he and I over a lunch conversation actually created a, a, a to-do app called To-Do. It's like, if you like lists, it's like super simple, super minimal. He's the kind of person that has an idea and builds the thing. And in the early days of Studio Mates, like I remember he met Chris and they created Brooklyn Beta for the super nerds out there. Brooklyn Beta was like the coolest 
web conference that he they did put on. It was just, I remember the first Brooklyn beta. I sat there and it was literally my Twitter stream that came to life. Like <laughs> I sat in my Twitter stream and everyone was cool, was building fun, quirky, weird stuff. And it wasn't all about monetization at the time. Like there was there was this playfulness on the internet. It's, it's probably what you're what you're mentioning yes. now, yes. what you're hinting to. And I must say, like, all I want is to bring bring those days back. It was just, I remember logging on every morning to, what was that site? Design is Kinky, uh, <laughs> K, 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 K10K or something. I know there were these sites that had really my tiny type. Every morning I would come on and I would look like, what is out there? What cool thing have people built? And yeah. There's so much pressure to not use that as a motivation. You, you look at the opportunity of the internet as a financial model, you know, and it seems like, well, if you're not optimizing for that, what's the point? You're you're kind of wasting your time. So we'll we'll expand on that because I have a lot of questions along those lines. But I actually can I just hook in for a second because yeah. I think that's the problem. I've built multiple companies. They came out of the sheer wouldn't it be fun this existent and like the joy out of building it. And guess what? The money came on its own. And I still, I truly believe if we went back there a little bit, just building things for the sheer sake of it's fun that this thing exists, I think it would do all of us good. I agree with you because I hear you talk about radical generosity as the business model. And I think to myself, how can that exist in, in today's world? And especially in New York, you know, where like things are so expensive and mm-hmm. I, I aspire to the courage that you have to leap into that. Part of the reason I wanted to have you on and talk maybe about it is because- Maybe it's hey, Jay, Jay, maybe it's not courage. <laughs> well, I don't know, because on the other end of this, like we're, we're talking about Creative Mornings that has, it's in 224 cities, 67 countries. How many? 226. 226 <laughs> cities. Almost 70 countries, maybe 70 now, gathering 25,000 people a month. So you have some experience of taking these leaps of wouldn't it be fun and seeing that close the loop and work out. Yeah. One quick question I have for you in terms of how you compartmentalize things, even if you're not optimizing for like a a financial return, there are still opportunity costs, right? Mm -hmm. Like anything that you say, wouldn't it be fun and start putting time into that's time that you can't put towards Mm-hmm. Uh, to do or your blog or creative mm-hmm. mornings. So how do you think about that? How do you think about when you say, wouldn't it be fun? And in fact, I think it would be fun and I'm going to explore it. Well, to me, I'm a fairly spiritual person. So I don't know if this, this, this is awkward, but I am a big believer that we're like in the end of the day, it comes down to vibration and joy and love are really high vibrations. And they are just attra- super attractors of all of the good things. So to me, if something really lights me up, if I can sleep at night because that thing needs to exist and come through me and it's just so much fun to do it, I will do that even if monetarily it might not make sense because I have proof after proof that it works. I mean, just to give you an example today, to-do, the to-do app that's really, really super simple list-based to-do app that came out of a lunch conversation with my friend Cameron, where I saw him use one that I really didn't like. It has too many bells and whistles right before we sat down for lunch. And I said, dude, man, you like that app? And he's like, wow, you have like strong opinions. And I was like, yeah, you know exactly what I want. You know, and I'm a user interface designer and I sketched it out. And then he just looked at me and he's so cool, Cameron. He's like, Tina, design it. And we'll build it for you. And 48 hours, like right after lunch for three hours, I sat down, I designed it. 48 hours later, we had a working prototype. And we started, like people started using it in their browser. So you saw it on everyone's screen as the landing page. It's like a week in front of you. And it's really great for organizing your week. And everyone was asking for it. And eventually he and I just said, you know what? Let's just give it away. Because we had to hard code people in. Super awkward. And then we made this really ridiculous, probably politically politically a little incorrect website with, he made a video that was hilarious, basically saying, if you use this app, you'll have more dates. And, you know, I mean, it was was fun. And we launched it to the public saying, hey, take it, use it. 
you know, this was a gift to the world. In December of like December 10th, I think in 2010 or 12th. And I remember a few hours later looking over to Cameron and he was green in his face. And he's like, Tina, I don't know what's happening, but we didn't, I don't, the servers are going to melt. <laughs> so within two hours of launching, Fast Company wrote about it, an article and said it's the best to do up of 2010. Seth Godin shared it. Like it was just exploding on the internet. And I was like, whoa, you know, and then eventually like we, we, we made it free for years, but it, you know, it really, I mean, for people that don't know, but server cost is real, maintenance cost is real. And then we switched it to a really affordable paid model and people love it and we're using it. And it, it was completely accidental business. But to me, it's like the universe showing you when you build something from a really pure, excited, loving place, people just sense that. You, it just vibrates on a different level than something that you purely build for the sake of making you rich. Have you found that you need to surround yourself with people who feel the same way about energy and spirituality? Because I imagine, you know, if I'm if I'm on the Creative Mornings team and you're like, hey, team, by the way, I just had this idea over here and I've got to follow it. Some people might feel a certain way about that. Like, well, what, what about what we're working on over here? Uh, have you found that it's, it's changed or necessitated a certain type of people around you? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, I would say you don't have to be spiritual to work with me, but you have to respect my deep, intuitive way of navigating the world. And if I have one superpower, like if I have one freaking superpower, when something keeps me up at night, when I'm excited about something... I will enthusiasm bulldoze you to the point where you don't know what's happening to you. And you just go like, she's onto something. I cannot say no. Like I can, I can get people excited about something, you know, and sometimes that's all you need. Like, you know, because, yeah. you know, confidence is impressive and enthusiasm is, is contagious. I mean, I'm sure you must probably remember some moments when somebody was so excited about something that you kind of get kind of. You know, it's, it's contagious. You can't, you yeah. cannot not think, okay, let's do it. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I used to be really focused on confidence and more and more that has evolved into the concept of like belief instead. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like enthusiasm comes from a place of belief. Like I believe this to be true and this to be a good idea and this to be the, the right next step. I think people are attracted to enthusiasm, belief. They, they, people like certainty. They like feeling like this person has certainty because now I feel more comfortable having certainty as well. Yeah. And also, you know, I, this is a bit of a tangent, but I, it was one of the biggest aha moments of my life is, you know, Creative Mornings is currently still built entirely on partnerships. And, and so I was, I'm the person talking to the CMOs of big giant tech companies or their founders and trying to convince them to support the organization. And at one point I was sort of like having a down day and I was talking to my dear friend, Sharon, and I said, Sharon, I just don't like sales. And she laughed and she looked at me and she goes, Tina, you need to reframe that. And she says, sales is nothing other than a transfer, transfer of enthusiasm. Mm. And and I just sat there and it hit me, you know, and especially when, when you're trying to sell something that came out, like that is like so deeply ingrained in your own personal values. It's super easy to do. And that always stuck with me. I love that. I love that frame because so many people struggle with sales, but we're all selling something constantly. We're selling ourselves. We're selling our ideas. We're selling why you should care about whatever it is we're trying to say this is something worth caring about love that reframe mm -hmm. i would love to talk a little bit more about the growth and expansion of creative mornings because you don't reach these scales of 226 cities uh 70 countries ish without really empowering other people which i am which is i know is hard for a lot of people myself included i don't know what your journey with that has been like so as you had the success and you're getting invited to help the MailChimp employees pee themselves and go into the huge offices. How did you think about expansion? You know, it was interesting. So when I started this out in New York, I never, ever, ever thought it's going to go beyond New York. I ran it scrappily just myself for two years. So MailChimp supported us just one chapter. They, 
didn't expect anything. And because I go back to Switzerland every summer, I took it. And in those two years, I was just boldly thinking, let's take it to Zurich. Why not? Right. And I had two really great events, which then resulted in a crew there that came to both events, basically after the second one, not letting me leave until I said, okay, you can run a chapter here, which was again, so interesting when you build something and then, you know, the universe comes at you with like, this needs to grow. And funny enough, in this exact same moment, my friend, John, who used to come to the events in, in New York City, moved to LA and asked me out for coffee and said, Tina, would you trust me to take this to LA? And, you know, it's, it's one of those moments just like, wait, what does that even mean? But what would that, you know, and, you know, and I did, I did really deeply care about it because it has, so, I mean, it, it is, it is an extension of my values, the way I have, or like I have set up these events, the way they feel the, you know, the warmth I care about. So I was wondering, how would this translate if I give this to someone else? And then sort of realized I had to create some conversations with friends. They helped me sort of figure it out. And what I had to create is basically say, yes, like you're, and I knew these two people, like they were good people. And I had to give them the non-negotiables. Here are the things that you have to adhere to. Like it has to be on a Friday in the morning. It has to be free. You have to provide coffee. You have to upload the talks and you have to thank the partners. And that was kind of, and it has to be free. Sort of the non-negotiables. And then I always said, but then go experiment, make it your own and tell me what, what you find out and tell me what works. Which then when, you know, people that want to run this, they, they have drive, they're, they're, they're excited and they want to put their own stamp on it. And I have learned even as a boss and, and through this experience, when you trust people, when you give someone, when you make someone feel seen and trusted, they grow and expand and surprise themselves. Like, like deep trust. To me, like I always say, trust breeds magic and creative mornings is, is that. What we have learned over the years is just to really figure out who is the right personality, what is their you know value system to make someone a host. Like you have to really jump through a shit ton of hoops to become the host of a city. But man, once we once we realize or oh, think you're the right person, we give you what I call the the key to the Porsche to our back end to everything you need. You're being supported, and we say go have fun. And report back, right? And that trust, I mean, all of a sudden you have this global brand in your back. You can go and knock on anyone's door and say like, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm the host of Creative Mornings. This is a global brand. People have like, there's one chapter we had to shut down in 14 years because they abused it. Mm -hmm. One chapter. Can you imagine that? Like the goodness that comes out of people to me is just a testament that people are inherently good. That's yeah. one of the reasons why I put on this, this event series. Like Creative Mornings is a celebration of and a reminder that people are inherently good. And I feel like in our day and time right now, that is lost. Like people feel, you know, pushed down. They feel sarcastic. They feel like there's no hope. They, they feel alone. I do feel like that you're, there's two states of operating in life. You're either operating out of a place of love or out of a place of fear. To me, there's no, there's nothing in between. And if you want to live a courageous, beautiful life and design your life, like sort of heart-centered in a heart-centered way, you need to be in a place of love and you need to be in a place of feeling safe and feeling, you know, like that you can be yourself. But if you're like most of us these days are operating just plain out of fear and there's, you don't make any good decisions. You don't attract anything good. You don't, you don't make decisions that expand you out of, out of fear. So I feel like sort of, you know, creative mornings, you know, I, I don't know if you've been to an event, but I have. Yeah. So when you go like a lot, I see it, I see it in people, how they come with their guard up and they're like, what's the catch? Why is this free? What, what are they going to do? You know, are they going to bombard me with emails? And then, you know, it just feels really good and you kind of relax into it and you go like, oh shit, this feels good. This is, this could be life. My work could feel like this. I love that. And I agree 100%. The last time we spoke, I, I, I shared with you that it's a fundamentally different experience going to a creative mornings event because it's not agendaed. It's 
it's so genuine. It's so warm. It fills you up. It just genuinely feels different in such a wonderful way. You, you said so many things that opened up three different loops for me that I'm going to try to traverse <laughs> here to go, to go through. The first thing you mentioned, actually, it was the second thing. You said people have to go through a lot of hoops to become a chapter leader for Creative Mornings. Can you talk about what some of those hoops are? Because I imagine you went through some iterations to find out what are the best ways for us to identify if this is a good fit or not. Yeah, yeah. It's been a really long process and I'm so proud of my community team, how they really honed this process. So if you, so let's say if you're in a city and you, there is no Creative Mornings chapter and you want to bring it to your city. So if you go to our website on the very bottom of the site, it says start, start a chapter and it gets you onto a page where we basically say, here's what you need to do. And I might miss a few things because I mean, they've been updating it over and over, but basically the, the, it comes down to put together a video Tell us who, do you have a team? Who would be that on your team? Introduce us to your team. Introduce us to your city. Why does the city need this? I tell you, Jay, when we get these applications, they are love letters to their cities. I mean, I, every time I'm like, we need to send this to the tourism board or the, <laughs> the, the mayor of their town because these are people who are volunteering their time. A host puts in a good, I would say, 40 hours a month to put on together their creative community. That is, that is just so radically generous. And, you know, and we made it so complicated. You know, we, we set the bar high and make sure that you have video capabilities and whatever uh, and whatnot, because it, so you don't apply on a whim. These applications come in and people have been working on them for weeks, for months. And then we interview them afterwards and we have just like a few questions where we really get to sort of the core of who they are. And in the end of the day, you need to kind of be a servant leadership kind of human, someone who just really is in service of their community. And that's a very specific type of human. And I tell you, Jay, the biggest moment that just moved me to tears was when in 2014, we for the first time ever gathered our volunteers. We only saw these avatars on Basecamp talking to each other. And then we invited them for a two-day conference in New York City. And I will never forget at the time, my COO, my first hire, Kevin, who helped me scale Creative Mornings from four to 111 chapters. He and I were standing in the room in Brooklyn with the 175 people that flew in from 45 countries that run the events around the world. And I remember looking at Kevin and I remember breaking down crying. There was a love palpable in that room of unmatched proportions. And I'm not somebody, I'm really not somebody who talks about world peace, but I heard myself say to Kevin, I said, if we manage, if society, humanities manages to create more pockets like this, I believe eventually we can have world peace. And I'm not saying that we are the organization. I'm just saying values like deeply, deeply generous heart-centered communities, whatever they are. Like if you're a turtle group, I don't care. If you're like the hiking, you know, community. Uh, to me, any every anytime I see somebody copy Creative Mornings, because so many people have copied it, you know, and then people would email me, did you see that? I was like, yes, more <laughs> people gathering. I love it. <laughs> when we come back, we talk about how Tina built a global team of volunteers that she genuinely trusts. You'll hear all of that right after this. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters, featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several podcast movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. 
Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com slash science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. And now back to my conversation with Tina Roth Eisenberg of Creative Mornings. You also have said a couple of times deep trust with your team. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit more because I would love to hear in your mind what it actually means to fully trust somebody so that they feel trusted because it's, it's easy to hire somebody and say, no, I trust you and let them run off and do things then come down on them with all the feedback of things that they did that you didn't like, or that you wanted to change and lose that trust. So how do you, how do you embody that? How do you share that? Well, I think what it comes down to, uh, maybe I need to take a step back. I grew up in a somewhat emotionally unsafe home. And I think I am hyper aware when there is a lack of emotional safety. So to me, as a boss, the most important thing as a, and as a mother, as a leader, is to make sure that the people that work with me feel emotionally safe around me. Because I think that's the base. If they know that at all times, I give them the benefit of the doubt, I have their best intentions, you know, um, at heart, like then you can push yourself out of your comfort zone. There's, you know, of course we make mistakes. I make mistakes. And then we laugh because, you know, luckily it's not that somebody dies on the operating table. You know, and I have figured out so many things. Like, I mean, I, I, I started another company called Tatley. It's a product company. I, I had no business running a product company. I knew nothing about it. But I just, I just figure everything is figureoutable. And if you have people who are resourceful and, you know, and you give them the feeling you can do it, then let's go and let's do it. It might take longer because, you know, if you had someone who's done it for years, then, you know, but whatever, it's fine. But to me, my, my personal definition of success is when I see people growing around me. My license plate says expand. My life is all about expansion. I want to grow as a human on every level. And to me, work, work needs to be part of that. Work to me is a playground of your future self. And we should not accept anything else other than having loving environments at work where you feel safe and that you can, you know, go out on a limb and you can take risks. I don't know if this answers your question, but I think it all starts with me being just a really heart center boss. And, and you know, if you heard how we talk in our, in, our, in our team meetings, you know, the word love is something that we say a lot. Um, we have these uh, weekly check-ins where <clears throat> we, one of our favorite things that I, that we do it's basically just a undercover heart alignment, I call it. It's called it cherries and we call it cherries and pits. So we start our weekly mm. meeting by saying, share something good that happened since last week and share something that's maybe a little hard. And I remember some of our people that joined us, maybe from more traditional, more like corporate backgrounds, they were so rattled by that mm. because they were like, oh, it just has to be professional or whatever. And then they realized very quickly, like, no, we share deeply personal things in those meetings. We show up. We show up as who we are with the messiness of our personal lives. To me, there's not really a difference between who you are at work and who you are uh, at home. I know a lot of people roll their eyes right now. I don't care. That's how I roll. And that's how I've created very loving and very warm-hearted work environment. So that's just that's just my approach to it. And I do I do have a lot of former employees that moved on to other companies and come back to me and go like, "Wow. There is nothing out there like this." I believe it. That's part of what drew drew me to like a life of entrepreneurship and doing my own things because then you can control your environment and build the environment that you want and want to give to other people. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I'm so deeply interested in, in the, the, the model that you have and the way you empower people because these chapter leaders aren't full-time employees. You are putting a lot of trust in them, carrying the brand of a thing that you care about a lot. 
If you could go back, is there anything that you would do differently or sooner in the way that you allowed different chapters to spring up and and grow the brand as wide as it has today? Well, the the one thing that it's not that I it's this is not a regret, but what I am thinking a lot about right now is um sort of the sustainability, the the future of our organization. We built Creative Mornings, it's free around the world on partnerships. So basically companies like MailChimp and Adobe and um, you know, big tech companies have sustained us, their tech, their marketing budgets, basically. And that world is changing. Like, every, you know, everything's changing and it's, it's much harder to come, come around these days to, um, to get into these budgets. And so I've been thinking a lot about sort of the, the future and the, how can I make sure creative mornings is going to be around in another 50 to hundred years, to be very honest, creative mornings, I would have not dared to say these words a few years ago because I know that that word can trigger people. But in the end of the day, Creative Mornings is church for creativity. We have all the elements of church. We gather on a regular basis. We have a sermon. We have like a prayer, which is our manifesto. And it's deeply community-based and it's free. And it's so I want this to exist for another 50 to 100 years, but I can't do that. You know, I can't hold the partnership conversation. So I'm thinking a lot about, is there something I could have done sooner to sort of uh, make people help sustain the organization? I feel like uh, we've been trained that a lot of things are just magically free. And I have unfortunately seen businesses that I really care about die during the pandemic. And I wish I would have known they were struggling. I honestly, there's there's some businesses like that. Just to give you an example, there was this community acupuncture center a block away from my office, uh, from my home, that I went to every week. It was grassroots. It was amazing. It was lighting scale. It was, if I would have known they were struggling, I would have deeply, you know, grabbed in my, po- in my pocketbook yeah. and I would have supported them. And I was like, damn, why, you know, businesses are dying and we don't know and we love them and we're going to miss them. So I feel like there's something that needs to happen. This is something I think about a, a lot right now is that this notion of what is something I would miss if it was gone? An organization, a coffee shop, a blog, a whatever it is. And what am I doing to support it? What am I doing to make sure it doesn't disappear? So I've become very intentional in actually really paying my NPR donations and, you know, supporting blogs and doing the Patreons. And and I feel like there's a shift that needs to happen in society if we don't want to end up just with the giants of the Googles and the Amazons. But that's a shift that I think takes, that will take a moment, you know, for us to really get there. Um, but that's the one thing, just to go back to your question is like, I think I wish we would have started a little sooner to say, do you want to support us? Because we have never let the community support us. And I just want Creative Mornings to be around for a long time. I appreciate you sharing that. That's a vulnerable thing to share. So thank you for saying that. And I think we're actually in a unique moment in time where because we're all media companies, actually a Seth Godin talk at Creative Mornings, uh, because we're all media companies, we're in the unique position of appreciating patronage differently and better than ever before. Because like we know what it feels like to get a heart on our photo on Instagram. And we know that we can give that feeling to other people's too. And I, th- I think that kind of fractals or like chains all the way up to understand that, oh, we like feeling supported we have that power to support other people. So it does seem like if there is a time to nudge society and culture in that direction, this might be a uniquely good time for that. Yeah, I think so too, but it will take some heavy lifting in ongoing educating of the people that, you know, to be very honest, I am worried about the year ahead of us. I really am. It keeps me up at night, but then I'm like, have I ever told our community that I'm actually not sleeping at night? No, I haven't. Would a lot of people say, are you kidding me? Creative Mornings gives me so much. Of course, I'm going to help you. Like, there's there's also a bit of a pride thing and how are we going to do it? You know, uh, but that, that's the sauce I'm in right yeah. now trying to figure out. 
It is interesting. Like there, there is still some like cultural, I don't know if like it's ingrained in us to think that like you have all these TV shows and movies growing up. We're like, well, we don't accept charity. Like we think of any form of financial support as charity and somehow have a negative connotation to that. You know, every time I'm on Wikipedia and the box pops up and it says, please support Wikipedia. I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you that, but you're unique if you're already there. Like, yeah. I think you are ahead of your time. But, you know, it goes back to tithing. Like, there needs right. to be a new word that right. doesn't have such a weird connotation. Right. But that's what it needs. Like, if, or let me let me put it this way. So, we are starting to experiment with, last week, for the first time ever, we asked our field trips community, that's our peer-to-peer -peer university layer, which you have given a few very generously have showed up and have given some field trips. We started asking like, hey, because a field trip costs us at least a thousand bucks to put on, like to, you know, everything. And we make no money of it. Like we're just like radically generously, like, and we're putting it out because I just believe this needs to exist. It puts so much goodness out. So what I'm starting to realize is that something like Creative Mornings, that is, it's like a, a living, breathing blob, right? And there's the people that attend so they contribute by showing up and they get inspired. There is like a sort of a, a, a osmosis of giving and taking. And there's the people like you that generously show up and, and offer a field trip and teach, you know, your, your knowledge. That there's energy exchange on so many different levels. And I feel like what we need to do is it's not necessarily open your wallet at all times, but that you show up with a sense of giving, not just taking. That every time, let's say you interact with something like Creative Mornings, you ask yourself like, oh, wow, I've been attending a lot of these events. What can I contribute? Like sort of an energetic exchange in this like big field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that we start asking ourselves, okay, I'm, I actually don't feel comfortable teaching something, but you know what? I have to fund, so I will support it. Because in the end of the day, money is just, another form of, of energy. Sure. So I do feel like what I said before, like in general is maybe a bit of a, what am I contributing back? If, if you can't do financially, that's totally fine, but maybe you can bring three friends to the next event or you can tell your CMO, like, do you know about creative mornings? So, and I think, imagine if we all start showing up like this in our life with our friends, with the coffee shop, with like whatever it is, that would tr radically transform how, how we show up as, in, as you know, in society and in community. If you want to learn more about Creative Mornings, visit creativemornings.com and search for a local chapter. If you've never been to a Creative Mornings event, I highly, highly recommend it. And if you want to learn more about Tina, you can find her on Twitter at Swiss Miss. Links to both of those are in the show notes. Thanks to Tina for being on the show. Thanks to Nathan Todhunter for editing this episode. Thanks to Emily Klaus for making our artwork and Brian Skeel for creating our music. If you like this episode, shoot me a message and let me know. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you next week.